Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Sovereign Lord, we do um, just join with those those angels falling face down, declaring that you are holy, declaring that you are worthy. Um, And God, uh, as we talk about love this morning, God, I pray that you would yeah, that your, that your love would be tangible, would be palpable here uh, with us this morning, God, and that, that would overflow from us onto those around us. And God, we just pray that uh, as we hear from your scripture this morning, that we would take it to heart and we would apply that to our lives. And just, um, yeah, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be guiding us and leading us in that process. In Jesus' name, amen. Whoop. Nope. Uh, kids, you are dismissed. <laughs> Do I need to say anything else? Okay. (laughs) All right, so yeah, so good morning, everybody. Uh, So last week, Brandon was up here, and he kicked off our talk on 1 Corinthians 13, a series through love. And if you remember, Brandon reminded us that if we don't have love, then all of all the things we do, all of our work, all of our charity, all of our um, investing in people, all of our words, it's all nothing um, apart from love. And if you remember, he had a a nice crashing cymbal and clanging gong that he used to wake everybody up. And today, we're going to continue that series, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, or it's on the screen if you don't. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. So we have this list, some things that love is, some things that love is not. And it's not just a random list either. This is, was written to the church in Corinth, and these are all things that the church in Corinth needed to hear. God speaking to the church in Corinth is speaking to a love problem that that church had. If you read all the verses up to before 13, you see in the beginning they're splitting off into little splinter groups and factions, uh, arguing amongst each other who's the best leader of the church. And they're all kind of like, oh, I'm following this guy, I'm following this guy, I was baptized by this guy. So they're, they're splitting themselves up and dividing. We see sexual immorality that's not being called out. We see um, like the rich and the powerful lording the Lord's Supper over the, the poor and marginalized. And we just see all of these, these love problems that this church in Corinth has. And so as we go through this verse, God is calling out that church and calling them to a greater measure of love to the people in their city. And what strikes me um, and why I think it's worthwhile to discuss this verse here at City of Refuge in 2021 is that we as a world and as a country, and as a church, as a family, as people, often have some of these same love problems when we're interacting with the people in our city and in our world. If you just think over the last couple of years, what have we seen? We've seen um, racially motivated violence. We've seen political polarization. We've seen people just kind of having a mass exodus from service jobs because people have just gotten hateful and rude, um, and people just can't put up with it anymore. And then coming to, to now, we've got kind of the, we've got the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, and both groups are, feel oppressed by the other, and it's just building this tension and this hatred in our country. And all of that in the middle of a global pandemic that has 
cost the lives of, of countless of our brothers and sisters and is just causing all of our you know, food shortages, job loss, all the problems that the pandemic has caused. And in the middle of all of that, have we seen just a mass flooding of people back into the church in our country? No, not really. And why is that? Instead of seeing people flood back into the church, we've seen a continued decline that's been going on for decades of Christianity slowly fading away in our country. Now, I don't know the ultimate cause and all the answers to every person that's, that's left the church, but I'd be willing to bet that at least for a lot of them, it's because the church has a love problem. It's like the church in Corinth. When people look at the church, they don't see anything different from the division and the hatred and the, the hypocrisy and just everything else that they see out in the world. I went on Google and I tried to look for what are kind of the, the top words that the world would use to describe Christians. And kind of the top five that I could find across a few different websites was religious, hypocrites, homophobic, self-righteous, and judgmental. That's how we're known. One of, uh, one of my best friends is a good example of this. He walked away from the church years ago. And at the time, I asked him why. And his answer was this. He said, we believe as Christians that the Holy Spirit is living in us and working through us. But I can no longer reconcile that with the hypocrisy and violence carried out by those supposedly spirit-filled spirit people across time and even today. If Jesus was who we claim him to be and did the things that we claim he did, then there's no way that the Christian church I see is filled with that God. Ouch. Now, all of that doesn't mean that we don't have some very loving people in our church, and we do. There's people in this church that have taken me and my wife in when we didn't have a place to live, multiple times, actually. There's people here that have showed up at my doorstep whenever we were going through a hard time or when we hadn't been at church for a while. And I, I work here, so I get to see all the time people showing up, volunteering their time and their money to keep this church running and to keep people's spiritual lives forming. There was one time I was, I was up here and I heard noises downstairs and I snuck down to see what was happening and there was a whole group of people just painting pictures on the kids' walls down there. <laughs> there was another time, like a week ago, that I got a call from Omar, one of the guys that works for the cleaning company that works here, and, uh, and he said, there's people in the building. <laughs> Am I supposed to be here? Should I leave? And so I called Brandon. I was like, is there a meeting tonight I forgot about? He's like, I don't know. And so we, we both got on the security cameras and we're like being spies and looking around. <laughs> we, we saw one of the elders downstairs counseling um, another member. And it's just it's those things. There's always people here. There's always people giving of themselves, working to make this church a better place and keep this place going. So this is, don't take this as a message of condemnation, but take this as a message of reminder and encouragement uh, to press into this more. And especially in the, in the isolation and the busyness of the last year, at least myself, I know I've, I've found myself feeling less and less loving towards others, and that might be some of you as well. We have a gospel of love, a gospel of reconciliation, a gospel of shalom, and God has placed us in this time, in this place, in this city, where that is a severely needed thing. And as we look at what that means, what it means to love today in the passage, I want us to hold those stakes in front of us. John 13 says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
As we look through these different aspects of what love is this morning, remember that the world thinks of the church, the, the first thing that should come to their mind is love. When they see us, they should be, oh, those guys, wow, they are full of love. I always have loving interactions with them. It's not, they will know that we are Christians by our hypocrisy. And it's not, they will know you're my disciples if you're self-righteous and judgmental. That's never going to bring people towards us. And finally, I want to remind us uh, that this isn't a grit your teeth and bear it kind of thing. It's not a go and act out love without the feeling. Like Brandon said last week, if we don't have love, all of our actions, all of our works are worth nothing. And so the picture I want us to have is of God as a faucet over a sink. He's the source of love, just pouring out water. And I picture ourselves as the the cup. And God fills us up, fills up the cup, and then as the cup is full, it's overflowing into the sink, and eventually the sink is filled. And you could rightly say that the sink was filled by the water from the cup. But the sink is bigger than the cup, and we all know that there's no way without that continuous source flowing into it that that sink could ever be filled up by that cup. And so in that same way, let us, us be that cup Accepting God's love and overflowing to the people around us. All right, so let's look at the passage. So the first two things we see about love, we see two things that love is. We see love is patient, love is kind. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We live in a same-day delivery, streamed-on-demand, hot-and-ready culture. Patience is not a goal of our world, but it is part of how God defines love to us. Becoming a parent, I've found, is helpful in learning this type of patient love. Because every day, my son Leo tries to test all of the boundaries. I think it was, Joanna, was it you that bought him that balloon on a stick? Okay, Joanna bought my son a balloon on a stick. And my son has never been able to hold on to this balloon for more than a couple hours before it got taken away. <laughs> but and so he comes home with this balloon on a stick, and I'm sitting on the couch doing homework. He comes up, and he just starts hitting me with the balloon on the stick. <laughs> and so, you know, with my patient love, <laughs> Leo, you know, remember, we don't hit people. We don't hit people, Leo. And so he goes over, he hits my wife. He hits the son I'm like, nope, still a person. We don't hit people, Leo. So he goes to the dog. He's trying, trying, trying to figure out where the, where the edge of this rule is. <laughs> he starts hitting the dog. Nope, nope, we don't, hit, we don't hit the dogs. We don't hit people. We don't hit anything with the balloon, Leo. So he, he gives up on the, the animate objects, and he goes to the TV. He starts hitting the TV with the balloon. We're like, nope, <laughs> you're, now you're going to break things. Please don't hit things with the balloon. And it just continued on. He hit the wall. He hit decorations. He hit all kinds of things. Eventually, he got to the point where he was just like waving the balloon next to my head, <laughs> not actually hitting me. And I'm sure all of the parents know what I'm talking about. This is, <laughs> you're fine. Where, does, where does the rule end? And so he was within the letter of the law, but not with the spirit of the law, right? And so I may get, I get, may get very tired of my son's disobedience, but the thought has never crossed my mind to just kick him out of my life or to give up on training him into the man that I know he's going to be someday. That thought has never come into my mind. Why? Because I love him. Because I like him. That relationship I have with my son is easily worth any temper tantrum, is easily worth any property destruction I experience. 
is easily worth having to say no a thousand times. And so it is with God. God loves us and loves the people that we're here to witness to, loves this city. And we're every bit as rebellious and whiny and boundary testing as my son is. But our God is patient and our God is kind. And as a church, we also ought to be loving the world, not in, in quick and give up when it doesn't work ways, but we need to be patient and persistent and kind to those around us. The next few qualities that we see in this passage, it says, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not conceited. These all three speak to comparing yourself to others. That's another thing we see a lot of in our world, right? We've got uh, Instagram and whatever else the kids are using these days. In our social media world, we're constantly saying, oh, this person has more than me. Oh, this person like, has this cool thing that I want. Oh, their marriage is going great. We're, all, we're constantly comparing ourselves to the people that we see around us. And in this, God is a little bit different than us because God is better. God is higher. God is stronger. God is perfect, eternal, and we are not. And God regularly reminds us of our, our position and his position throughout the Bible. But even in that, God gives us examples of this in Scripture, none more easily seen than in the person of Jesus. The eternal, all-powerful God became man and dwelt among us. And he didn't come as the king. He didn't come as a powerful ruler, as a rich man. No, he came in the same way as the people that he was witnessing to. He came on their level. Philippians 2 describes it by saying, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus did not envy. Jesus did not boast. He was not conceited. He came to our world on our level to save us, provide a path for us to be reconciled to God. Likewise, may we not be pulled off of our course of love by comparing ourselves to others. Jesus could have said, oh, heaven was pretty great. I think I'm just going to go back to that. But no, he had so much love for us that God came and dwelt among us in the midst of all of our rebelliousness and sin. He came and dwelt among us. When we interact with the world, we should come as equals, pointing the way to the only one who is truly greater than us. We shouldn't come as, oh, we're Christians, we're better than you, we've got the thing you need, you're worse than us. No, we're coming as equals, we're also broken people, we're also, also messed up sinners. And we have found the love that comes from Jesus, and we want other people to experience that. We're coming as equals, we're not coming as better or worse. The next few qualities that we see are love does not act improperly and love is not selfish. 
The ESV Bible version combines those two into one phrase, and it says, love does not insist on its own way. So we see that part of what love looks like is laying down our own selfish desires and instead working for the sake of the gospel. As a church and as people, we should orient our decisions around where God is leading us and not around our own selfish ambitions. That sounds also like struggle, but again... Like the cup overflowing and filling the sink around us, our prayer is that we would not be struggling through that, but that God's love would be filling us and we'd be overflowing that love onto those around us. And that we would be ourselves transformed into selfless people who don't insist on our own way, but in loving people and showing them the salvation that we have found, fully live into that love that we are being given by God. And finally, in the passage we see, it says, love is not provoked, and love keeps no record of wrongs. Have any of you ever been in an argument, and I've been in several of these kind of arguments with someone, where um, it starts out something like, I never held it against you when you fill in the blank. Or you always bring up that I did blank. Why do you always bring that up? I never bring it up when you did blank. We have this weird thing where we do our best not to hold things against people. But as soon as we get provoked, as soon as they push us to that point, suddenly we remember all of the past and it all comes flooding out and we have that nice argument about it. Matthew 6 says, For in you, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we see in the Bible there's some sense to which our forgiveness is intertwined with our forgiveness of others. We also see in Romans 12, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As a church and as people, let us stay focused on our love for others so that we're not provoked to name-calling, division, splinter group forming, all the things that we saw in the church in Corinth. And instead, let us be an example to the world of a better way. When, when others are provoked to anger, let us show love instead. Likely nothing on this list was too surprising for you. I'm sure if somebody asked you, what does love mean? You probably would have come up with something like being nice, being kind, being caring, not being boastful or acting improperly and selfish, but giving of yourself to someone else. And this is also a verse that you've probably heard a thousand times before at weddings and church services, and it's a, it's a familiar verse to us. And so my hope this morning is that you're all reminded of not just what love is, but that it's the biggest thing that the world sees when they look at us. And it should be the biggest thing that the world sees when they look at us. And it's also the biggest thing that will push a lost and dying world away when it's absent. 
When uh, several years ago, when Itoro worked here, he made a joke one time. Um, and he, Itoro had left the, the corporate world to come serve the church. And he made this joke. He said, he said, I used to pray that all my coworkers would come to church with me. And now that I work here, all of my coworkers are serving in the church. <laughs> okay, it doesn't work that way, Itoro. Um, but I want to reframe that for us a little bit this morning. And I want to say that while Itoro was working in that corporate office, all of his coworkers did, in fact, go to church. We are the church, and wherever we go, the church is. And I want that to be something that we hold as we leave this morning, that every conversation you have, every quote or estimate that you give a customer, every patient you care for, every neighbor, neighbor you wave to, every grocery store clerk you interact with, those people are at church. And how they see the church and how they ultimately see God depends on that interaction. There are millions and millions of people in our country who will never come to a church building. Maybe that's because we ran them away. Maybe that's just because other circumstances in their life, they never, never showed up. <laughs> but we are called to go to them and we are with them day to day in our lives, in our jobs, in our stores. And like my friend, many of those people aren't going to be won back by apologetic argument. They're not going to be won back by theological persuasion. But they may be won back if those Christians who purport to be filled with the Holy Spirit, who purport to be working with and through the power of God, display love to them and display love in the way that they carry out their lives and display love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that does not envy, a love that is not boastful, is not conceited, a love that does not act improperly, a love that is not selfish, a love that is not provoked, and a love that does not keep a record of wrongs. And so my prayer this morning is that we would be that church, that wherever we go, we take the church with us and we would remember in our interactions. We're not here to create division. We're not here to split people up. We're not here to spread hate. We're here to be the church to our city and to our country and to our world. Uh, let me pray for us. God, your continuous flow of love is continually flowing into us. And sometimes we reject that and we try to get out from under that, that flow of love. We try to run out and do our own thing and be hateful for a little while. Um, but God, this morning I pray that your spirit would call us back to who you have created us to be. People who love each other, people who aren't dividing this world, but are giving the world an example of the way that, that you created humans to be. You created us to be people that loved one another, that lived in this community with one another, with you. And so, God, would we be agents of change, agents of love in our communities? And in those, those moments where we start to stray, where we're tempted to sow dissension, we're tempted to cause another division or to be rude to someone, would your Holy Spirit that's living in us remind us of what's at stake, the eternal future of everyone we come into contact with. 
God, I, I pray for my friend who's still walking away from the church. May I have that patient, kind love that you call us to, to continue to love him, continue to be a good example to him. And I do pray that one day he would find his way back to you. And I pray that for all of those people that we're thinking of as we think of our workplaces and our families and our neighbors and our communities. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would move through us for those people. In Jesus' name, amen.